Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Pineapple Pizza Podcast discusses the histories, cultures, and beliefs of regions around the world. These stories often contain mature and sometimes disturbing content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. She's out there somewhere. <laughs> we can't see her, but we can feel her presence. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very weird presence. <laughs> Sometimes I miss her so much, it's like I can still hear her. <laughs> Somewhere she's taking off her pants right now. <laughs> oh my god, that's so on point. <laughs> wow, you got me pegged for sure. Welcome to Pineapple Pizza Podcast, where we serve up slices of mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends. It's an interesting combination of flavors. Weird, but it works. Today, we're serving up a story by the slice that might fight back. Ooh. I'm your hostess, Emily, and with me are the incomparable Lindsay and Ashley. Well, hello there. Why, thank you for that lovely introduction. I would just like everyone to know that much like Aaron Burr in Hamilton, I am inimitable. I am an original. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is very true. Well, today we're just going to dig right into tonight's special. Dig being a, a big key word there. Uh-oh. I didn't bring a shovel. Damn. Oh, but you're going to need one for this. Uh -oh. I better get one. I gotta go to the Home Depot. <laughs> it's next to the reek. <laughs> oh, dear patrons, you'll have to tune into our Patreon special if you want to know what that means. Rhode Island was once known as the vampire capital of America. What? Between the late 1700s and late 1800s, rumors and fears of vampires were surprisingly common across rural America, but particularly in the New England states. Much of this fear had been tied to outbreaks of consumption, aka tuberculosis, mm -hmm. which occurred throughout the region, and particularly in New England. According to the CDC website, the disease may have originated over 3 million years ago. But between the 1600 and 1800s, it was the leading cause of death and accounted for approximately a quarter of all deaths during that period. Damn. So, it was bad. 
in places where families were poor and shared small cramped quarters such as like highly populated urban areas or small mm-hmm. rural homes, the disease would spread rapidly through a family and could easily wipe out entire lineages. Damn. So if you don't really know much about tuberculosis, which, you know, I thought I knew something, but then I read into a little bit more. It's characterized by that terrible hacking cough, which we all are familiar with. Yep. And this would commonly produce white phlegm and sometimes blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, it also was another common symptom was fatigue, sweats, fevers, and a general wasting away of the infected. So for yep. some, this process could take many years. So they would slowly waste away, becoming thinner and thinner and just sicker and weaker over several years, while others might die within a few months of contracting the disease. That's crazy. Yeah. Isn't one of the nicknames like the wa- the wasting sickness? Something yes. Like that? Yep. I think yep. so, yeah. So because doctors at the time had no real explanation or effective treatment for the disease, many people turned instead to superstition to explain what was occurring in their communities. Enter vampire lore. Woo! Vampire. It's a vampire. A vampire. Although communities all across New England experienced the vampire panic of the 1800s, Rhode Island seemed to have the worst of it. In fact, the town of Exeter is famously known as the location where the last American vampire was documented. I think I'm familiar with that story, but I could be wrong. I knew a little bit about this story, but I dug into it. (laughs) Dug into it some more. (laughs) (laughs) I see what you did there. Thanks. 19-year-old Mercy Lena Brown, known by her family as Lena, passed away on January 17th of 1892. Doctors had previously diagnosed her with consumption, but her passing was not the really long, drawn-out death that a lot of other people suffered. Instead, Lena passed within about a year of becoming symptomatic, so hers was pretty quick. Mm-hmm. She was not in the first in her family to have died of the disease, though. Her mother, Mary, had passed away in 1883, and her older sister, Mary Olive, had followed only six months later. At the time of Lena's passing, her brother Edwin had just returned from a stay in Colorado Springs where he'd sought treatment because he was ill with the disease also. Oh, yeah, because it was really popular. To, they thought that the fresh air helped mm-hmm. get rid of it. That was a big pseudo-treatment at the time. Right, yeah. The drier air, because there was something about the moisture that made the bacterium that they didn't know about it that would make it grow. So when you lived in places that were cold and moist... You tended to have more cases of tuberculosis where if you went out west where it was hot and dry, you didn't have as much of a problem with it. Yep. Unfortunately, Edwin's health quickly took a turn for the worse, and no treatment or prayer seemed to be saving the last child of the Brown family. You mean divine intervention didn't just happen? It Ugh. did not. It did not. I, I know, am right? shocked. Apparently so were they. <laughs> <laughs> shocked to death (laughs) (laughs) the only logical explanation to the minds of the rest of the community was that something far more nefarious than a disease was affecting the family so shortly after her burial people began to claim that they'd witnessed Lena walking through the cemetery and fields around the small town so they said that they were saying her get up and go for a stroll sounds legit Mm-hmm. Well, it didn't help that her own brother even started to claim that she was coming to him at night and sitting on his chest 
and suffocating him. So that really doesn't help your sister's cause. <laughs> She's literally been dead for like a month and he's like, oh yeah, it's, it's definitely her. So it was concluded that she must not actually be dead and instead was draining the life from her family members. So the residents of the town pressed George Brown, the father, to give permission for his wife and two daughters to be exhumed and examined for any unusual signs or symptoms. Now, from what I read, it didn't seem like George was really the superstitious type. He he believed the doctors because he mm-hmm. watched his family waste away. He knew the disease. But uh, he just kind of gave in to the popular push of the small town. You know, you have to live with these people, right? Yeah. And I'm sure it's something where, yeah, they would have just eventually done it on their own anyway without his permission. Yeah, probably. He did give his permission, but he didn't end up attending the exhumation that occurred that day, that very fateful day. So on March 17th of 1892, this is two months after Lena had passed, she, her mother, and her sister were exhumed as doctors and journalists looked on. So it was townspeople that came in and pulled everybody out, but it was a bunch of other people that stood around going, hmm, this is very interesting. Yeah, a bunch of looky-loos. Looky lose, uh huh. Let's poke the dead bodies. Make sure <laughs> yeah. they're not vampires. <laughs> I brought my good poking stick. Let's go. <laughs> Some sites say that Lena had been buried, while others, such as findagrave.com, say that she was instead entombed and was awaiting a thaw before she could officially be buried. And either way, she was in a casket. But it was likely that she was actually above ground, so they basically just dragged her casket out. Hers was easier to get to. That's fair, yeah. It doesn't really matter. It had only been two months, though. Mm -hmm. In either case, locals were really shocked by what they found. The bodies of Lena's mother and sister had almost entirely decayed over the past decade and were now little more than bones, which is what you would expect. Mm -hmm. You know, 10 years on in just some pretty simple, poor people wooden caskets. Mm Mm-hmm. They're just a, a small farming community. They didn't have the super fancy caskets. Mm-hmm. They're pretty gross. They're just bones. It's how decomposition works, guys. But you didn't know. So whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lena, on the other hand, appeared to be very well preserved. Her face was described as flush. Her hair and nails appeared to have grown. Mm-hmm. The body seemed to have moved from its original position of rest where would have been on its back originally and now it's laying on its side and most tellingly at least in their minds the heart and veins were full of clotted blood i mean where is it supposed to go (laughs) when you die yeah so the doctor that was there kind of performed like a really quick autopsy and he's going okay y'all need to calm down and chill out because this is totally normal she's been dead for two months and it's freaking winter so it's cold and it's she's not decaying like you would normally expect in summer months and then uh, he also took a look at the lungs and he said that the lungs showed obvious signs of consumption Mm -hmm. but ultimately the town's residents believed in their hearts that lena was undead and must be using her own brother's life force to keep herself alive because fuck science fuck science (laughs) yep (laughs) That doctor doesn't know anything. He just studied for a really long time. It's obviously a vampire. (laughs) Well, to be fair, at this point in history, science was just beginning to come into its own. 
and mm-hmm. medical science, particularly in the United States, was still really far behind the ball. Like Europe was way ahead of America at this point in terms yeah. of medicine. So I'm not surprised that Americans were like, I'm not going to listen to the doctor. He doesn't. You you literally didn't have to really get a degree. You you went and you got like a master of arts degree and you had to study Latin and French. And then ta-da, you're a doctor. Makes sense. Some accounts say that her heart and her liver were removed, while others say it was her heart and her lungs. In either case, the organs were taken to a pile of rocks on which a bonfire had been kindled, and then the organs were burned. The ashes were then taken and mixed with water and given to Edwin, Lena's brother, Don't to do drink. it. No. To drink. Don't do it. Which he did. <laughs> I couldn't find an exact explanation for why he had to drink the mix um but we could probably speculate that it was something that the belief had something to do with like there's a curse or there's some kind of tie between himself and lena which drinking the concoction could cure or sever well i'm assuming it's to get back your stolen life force mm-hmm. perhaps yeah i did see that um and, and it varied depending on where in new england you were some regions of new england you just had to breathe in the smoke other places you would consume the parts of the body like it was pretty weird yeah unfortunately for edwin the cure didn't work and he died two months later anyway surprise surprise yeah right (laughs) especially considering he was already hacking up blood when he came back home from colorado Mm -hmm. so he was already there he was gonna die after edwin's death however neither george the father nor any close neighbors died of tuberculosis, so the citizens believed this to be proof positive that although they hadn't stopped Edwin's death, they had ended the terror of the vampire in their community. So there is one interesting story that uh, says that following Bram Stoker's death in 1912, newspaper clippings about Lena's exhumation were found among his things, and some speculate that she may have even inspired the character Lucy in his famous work, Dracula. Dracula hmm. was published five years after Lena's death, but it's n- nobody's really sure about when he acquired the newspaper clippings, so we can't be positive that this actually did inspire anything in Dracula. It's just an interesting little tidbit. Hmm. So although we can't be positive that she inspired Stoker, it does appear that she was referenced in a short story by another famous author, H.P. Lovecraft. Hmm. According to SmithsonianMag.com, he wrote her into the story The Shunned House as a character named Mercy, which is what we more commonly know her as now. Interesting. Lena Brown, more commonly known these days as Mercy Brown because it's actually her first name, but apparently her family didn't call her that, may have been America's last vampire, but there were others that are less well-known except by locals. So I wanted to touch on a few of those really quickly because they're kind of cool. One such story is that of Nellie Vaughn, who died at the age of 19 in West Greenwich in 1889. Supposedly, her headstone is cursed and no vegetation will grow on or around it. It also has a little inscription at the bottom that freaks people out, and it says, I am waiting and watching for you. Ooh. I wonder if someone sits on it, something bad will happen. (laughs) Why do you want to sit on things? (laughs) I don't know, but I want somebody to go sit on it. It's a gravestone. And report back. Or, like, touch it or something. And report back. I'll poke it with my good poking stick. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Best I can do. (laughs) I thought I... 
To me, I'm thinking that she must have had a loved one. That she was, you know, as she's wasting away and dying, she's like, I'm waiting for you to come join me. But everybody else is going, oh my god, is she actually haunting us and haunting us? <laughs> I'm waiting for you. I'm watching you. Another story is that of Sarah Tillingast, and I had never heard of her before until I started researching Mercy Brown. So a little legend behind her death was written in an 1888 book entitled Literary Gossip, Criticisms of Books, and Local Historical Matters Connected with Rhode Island. It's a very long title. They always were back then. Yeah, right? (laughs) Just give everything away in your title. The book states that around 1776, just as the Revolutionary War was breaking out, a prominent farmer named Stukely lived in Exeter, Rhode Island. He and his wife had a large brood of 14 children. That poor woman. It's never good when your your family is referred to as a brood. Then you know there's a lot of them. <laughs> well, th- that was my word. No, I know. But, but like, <laughs> if you have to even use the word brood, you know, it's a, it's a shit ton of people. <laughs> Okay, you've gone too far. You have too many children. Please dial it back. Yep. One night, he had a dream that half of the trees in his large and prosperous orchard all suddenly died. Naturally, this dream really freaked him out because he couldn't discern the meaning behind it. That is, until his eldest daughter, Sarah, contracted consumption and passed away. Mm. After her death, another daughter took ill and began to claim that her sister was visiting her every night and causing her great pain by sitting on some part of her body. Okay. The sister died and then was quickly followed by four more children, all with the same kind of visions of their sister coming and sitting on them, which is just weird. Yeah. I don't. I have, can honestly say I'd never dreamt about my sister sitting on me, so... I can't say I dreamt about that either. Like, <laughs> not one time. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I've had nightmares about my sister, but not one of them included her sitting on me, so I don't know. (laughs) Soon, Stukely's wife and one of their sons started having visions and claiming that they, too, were being visited by Sarah in the night. Experts were called in, and it was decided that the six deceased children all needed to be exhumed and have their hearts removed. So, dutifully, neighbors came to help with this terrible task, And upon opening the caskets, five of the children all appeared to be in a natural state of decay. One body, however, seemed almost lifelike. Sarah, the first to die, was well-preserved. She Hmm. was found with her eyes open, which is gross. Oh, God. Nope. (laughs) I don't like that. Let's not do that. What if we just close those on up? I hate everything about that. I feel like as soon as you open the casket, you're like, but Nope. Can't. It'd be like one of those things where you open up something, you see a mouse, and you just slam it shut. Yes. Yep. That's what I'd be doing. I'd be like, nope. And then I'd crawl back out of there and be like, fuck that. <laughs> nope. Burn it. <laughs> just burn the whole place. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, obviously, that's the solution to the problem. <laughs> just ask the Norwegians. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So her eyes were open, and just like Lena, her hair and her nails appeared to have grown, and her veins and her heart seemed filled with blood. So, obviously she was a vampire. Mm-hmm. So they cut out her heart and burned it ceremoniously on a stone. 
I couldn't from I, so I took I read that little book or a chunk of that book where it was talking about this story and it didn't say that they did this to the other bodies to the other children but it did say that all the bodies ended up kind of mutilated so they must have done it to everybody but she was like the prime suspect is what my guess is yeah um, all the bodies were then reinterred and peace would soon return for the family but not until after a, a seventh death so uh, a final child ended up dying so his dream came true half of his children or half of his familiar orchard had died oh. According to smallstatebighistory.com, though, folklorist Dr. Michael Bell found a few inconsistencies with the 1888 account and the actual family. So Sarah died in 1799 rather than 1776, as the book had claimed. And four instead of seven children perished in the family that year, which is still a big number for one year, but, you know, discrepancy. Mm -hmm. Sarah also was not the eldest daughter, as the book had claimed. But it appears that the family did exist, and there did there was a large number of deaths in the family all in one year. So I personally, I found the similarities between the 1888 story of Sarah Tillinghast and then the 1892 documented death and exhumation of Lena pretty interesting because mm-hmm. um, both of the bodies were described very similarly upon exhumation, but Lena's mm-hmm. occurred later, and both of them ended up having their hearts burned on a stone. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the significance of the stone is. I didn't see that anywhere in my reading, but I thought that was interesting. And this appeared to occur all across New England that uh, people are still finding bodies sometimes where the um, rib cage is all busted open because somebody broke in to rip out the heart because they thought it was a vampire. That's so crazy. It is, isn't it? Especially when you think this is just before the turn of the 20th century. We're talking a few years before the turn of the 20th century, and people were still this superstitious. I mean, people still are very superstitious. Yeah, this is true. (laughs) So the graves of both women, both Lena and Sarah, can still be found. Sarah's is a little hidden. It appears to be kind of set back in the woods a bit uh, of a Rhode Island cemetery, Exeter 14. Lena Browns, on the other hand, can be found under a tree in her family plot in Chestnut Hill Cemetery. Her grave has been reinforced, though, to kind of prevent potential looting or damage because it's, I mean, it's a very famous plot being the last American vampire. And there's even like a visitor's book that's located at the plot to keep it in a Tupperware (laughs) jar so that people can (laughs) sign it when they visit. And that is the story of uh, New England and North American vampire lore. Jeez. Ingredients for this dish were sourced from findagrave.com page on Mercy Lena Brown. The 1888 book Literary Gossip Criticisms of Books and Local Historical Matters Connected with Rhode Island, Volume 5. Apparently there were at least five of these. By Sydney Ryder. A smallstatebighistory.com page entitled The Vampire Case of Sarah Tillinghast a History.com page called The Last American Vampire, an Atlas Obscura page called Grave of Mercy Brown, and a SmithsonianMag.com page called The Great New England Empire (laughs) Vampire Panic. (laughs) I really liked the Smithsonian article, and I highly recommend going out and checking the link in our show notes because it was really informative about some of the other history of New England vampires. It's pretty cool. I was going to make an empire joke. They really turned it up to 11. (laughs) Ha! (laughs) 
see what you did there. I liked it. Yeah. Choice. I like it. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Any last thoughts on these spooky, spooky vampires before I close up the restaurant for the night? I would really appreciate it if no one tries to rip out my heart and burn it on a rock. It's basically all I have. <laughs> Same. At least they were dead. If it makes it any better. I don't know if it does, but... Well, when I'm dead and gone, there won't be anything for them to steal anyway. Yeah, because I'm planning on getting burnt already. So, (laughs) haha, take that. (laughs) Beat you to the punch, bitch! (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's about time to close up the restaurant for the night. Thank you for visiting our beautiful pizzeria and enjoying a slice of Rhode Island vampires. Pineapple Pizza Podcast. Sweet and cheesy. Not everyone understands our awesomeness, but we're glad that you do? Question mark? If you're enjoying the show and you'd like to help support us, check out our Tee Public shop for some amazingly fun and funny merch. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, you can do that on buymeacoffee.com and buy us a fresh slice, because we can never get enough of basically anything, if we're being honest. If you absolutely love the show and you want to check out some fantastic bonus content, you can become a donor on Patreon and earn all kinds of amazing benefits. We have three tiers to accommodate almost any budget. The $3 Mythbuster, $7 Cryptid Hunter, and $15 Storyteller. Become a patron today and start enjoying all the perks and extra content right away. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PineAppPizzaPod. That's PineAppApp Pizza Pod. You can also send us questions, comments, and topic ideas at PineAppAppPizzaPod at gmail.com. Remember, there's the two P's in app. Otherwise, you're emailing someone else, and I don't want to be held responsible for that. Thanks for stopping in for some deliciously weird morsels. And just remember, no matter how you slice it, you're awesome. And we love you.